0: today on truths that transform
1: i want to dare you this morning that regardless of what your story has been up until this point i dare you to believe that jesus has the power to redeem and restore your story
2: there's one jewish state the size of new jersey the size of el salvador but that's too much for the for the israel haters even that is too much
1: Welcome. I'm Pastor Ra Pacienza. This year marks the 75th anniversary of the founding of modern Israel, a momentous event in world history. On today's program, you'll discover how the Messiah given to Israel can transform your life today. And we begin with a look at the special relationship between America and the nation of Israel, dating even back to George Washington. Here's our own Dr. Jerry Newcomb with more. Throughout
0: history, religious liberty has been the exception, not the norm. Anti-Semitism has been widespread, even at the hands of official churches. But America was founded largely for religious freedom. For example, Roger Williams' colony of Rhode Island was a haven for conscience sake.
3: Rhode Island became the home of America's oldest still standing Jewish synagogue. George Washington wrote a now famous letter to that synagogue that was established in Newport, Rhode Island.
0: May the children of the stock of Abraham who dwell in this land continue to merit and enjoy the goodwill of the other inhabitants while everyone shall sit in safety under his own vine and fig tree and there shall be none to make him afraid. George Washington. The vine and fig tree reference comes from Micah 4.4.
1: This was a metaphor that was rich in meaning in Micah's time. It was rich in meaning in Washington's time. Mount Vernon was his vine and fig tree. And and this is a biblical uh, metaphor. It's a a Hebraic blessing. It's a vision of the
0: New Jerusalem. Washington, like many before him, would have
1: seen in this metaphor uh, a reference to a life of contentment, which Christians are called to. It is a life free from the fear of war. It is a life free from the fear of want. It is
0: a metaphor about hospitality. It is a metaphor about the enjoyment
1: of private property and the enjoyment of religious liberty that we have here in America. I do often um, state without any fear of contradiction that America's Bible Belt has been the safety belt of the Jewish community. I mean, look, let's face it, uh, nowhere in the last 2000 years have Jews lived in anywhere approaching the tranquility and the prosperity that they have enjoyed for the last 250 years in the United States of America. And, uh, And this is not in spite of ardent Christian foundations of faith in America, but precisely because of them.
0: In fact, in 1948, the United States became the first nation to acknowledge the modern state of Israel. The 75th anniversary of Israel as a state is a tremendous milestone, and we should rejoice in the fact that there is in the Middle East a country that believes in democracy, and that, of course, stands in contrast to all the countries around it. And so we congratulate them on this special time and hope that Israel continues to exist. We, of course, know that America is friends with Israel, and we pray for their continued blessing and
2: existence. America and Israel have a deep affinity because we're the only two countries in the world that were founded on the Ten
4: Commandments. She turned 75 years old. And she's not just survived for 75 years, she's thriving. When Israel was founded on May 14, 1948, the next day she was attacked by five Arab armies. Now you have to understand, Israel had no army, no defense forces, very few weapons, ill-trained people. How they defeated five invading armies, there's no other explanation for it but a miracle of God. And then in 1967, another major moment uh, attacked by all the same countries again. And the victory was so resounding that she almost doubled in size. How can you explain this, except that God was at work uh, in her and defending her?
0: But fast forward to today, and we see many young Americans denouncing Israel, even though it's the
2: only democracy in the Middle East. Uh, Hatred of Israel is anti-Semitism. It is a a lie that if you criticize Israel, you're called an anti-Semite. It's a total lie. There's not one example of it that anyone ever gives. They just make that lie to defend themselves. It's not if you criticize Israel. Nobody gives a hoot if you criticize Israel. If you support those who wish to destroy it, that's different. One of the main ways people try to destroy Israel
0: is through the push for BDS, boycotts, divestitures, sanctions. They essentially want to bankrupt the nation
3: out of existence. The BDS movement is an international movement to try to isolate Israel from the rest of the world. And it's for boycotts, divestiture, and sanctions. Boycott Israel, anything it makes, any products it produces or has a hand in, any investments in its major companies, which are legion, and then uh, divestiture. If you have any entanglement with an Israeli company, uh, get rid of it. Get completely away from it. And then the sanctions to push for international sanctions against Israel. And its critics even go so far as to say that Israel is an apartheid state.
2: BDS is an attempt to destroy Israel. And uh, Iran, of course, is an attempt to destroy Israel. And by the way, that's another thing that is unique. There are a million hatreds in the world, but there's only one exterminationist hatred, and that's anti-Semitism. Anti-Semites don't dislike Jews. I wish that was all they did. You could live with dislike. You can't live with people who want to exterminate you. There's one Jewish state the size of New Jersey, the size of El Salvador, but that's too much for for the Israel haters. Even that is too much. Well, we should be very concerned about it. Um, this is an attempt to uh, get people to disinvest and to boycott uh, Israel. Um, and you know, Israel has, a, has an economy, it's booming like mad. Um, you know, how did this come to be? Arab oil money, Arab oil money. The Arabs have spent enormous amounts of money putting Islamic study centers on campuses around the world to, to put out the Palestinian and the pro-Arab viewpoint and it's now bearing fruit.
0: What about the charges against Israel of treating non-Israelis as second-class citizens?
3: I've been going to Israel since 1973. My first trip there was when I was 17 years old. Israel was a young and, frankly, pretty undeveloped country in 1973. I've been going back ever since, and I'm there four or five times a year. I've lost track of how many times I've been there. I've been to Syria to Lebanon to Jordan to Egypt to Iraq and Afghanistan and Pakistan and everything in the Middle East from Qatar to the Saudi Arabian uh, country all over so I'm speaking from some perspective and what I tell people is number one Israel is not an apartheid state it is a a free democracy they have freedom of the press they have freedom of speech They, they sometimes have so much freedom of speech that I wish they would tone it down a little bit because they make us look like we're totalitarian Uh, There is rigorous debate in Israel. There's free elections. People choose their leaders. They can get rid of their leaders. They have a very open, uh, free press that is relentless.
0: But what about Arabs that live in Israel? Amazingly, many of them are actually
3: Israeli citizens. And if you ask Arabs who live in Israel, would they rather be under Palestinian control? For a camera, they might say, oh, the Palestinians. But if you ask them honestly, They'd rather be under Israeli government because they have parks and streets and curbs and gutters and sewers and they have utilities and they have better wages and they live better. They have better schools, everything about it is better. So I resent that this movement is based on not just ignorance, it's based on bigotry. Both uh, Judaism and Christianity pose a direct threat to true leftism and the religion of leftism. And the reason is, is because uh, leftism is a pluralistic, multifaceted uh, view of the world that uh, you can believe, kind of anything you want to believe is what I feel, what I think, what I believe. There's no absolute truth. With uh, Judaism as well as with Christianity, you have absolute truth. You have one God, not many, but one.
4: The United States of America was founded largely by Puritans and Christians fleeing Europe, looking for freedom of religion, and they created their own uh, nation here based on freedom. And so, the Jewish people also found a degree of freedom here and respect that they had not encountered in Europe for centuries. Now, it wasn't perfect; uh, they still have had their their uh, struggle to achieve really what what we see them achieving today. And um, and so now we see the rise of anti-Semitism in America, and I think it's really been very shocking for the Jewish people. It's shocking for us. I, I cannot believe that my country has this rise of anti-Semitism that we see taking place. But it is, and so it's very important that we let the Jewish people know that we are with them, that we support them, that we're praying for them, uh, that we stand with Israel. It's a great comfort to them at this time.
1: The existence and protection of the nation of Israel has been important to Americans even long before the founding of modern Israel in 1948. Recently, I had the honor of visiting this historic and awe-inspiring land, It's an inspirational place because one is reminded that the events of the Bible are true history. Jesus and his disciples walked along these roads and changed eternity. Recently, I shared with the congregation here at Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church about a transformative journey two of Jesus' followers took that you and I are also called to take on the road to Emmaus. It's found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, beginning in verse 13, and we'll read through verse 35. This is the very Word of God. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. When they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things had happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but Him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, slow to heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scripture the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he was going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay. "'with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent.' So he went to stay with them, and when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight, and they said to each other, "'Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened up the scriptures?' And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem." And they found the eleven, and those that were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has, gathered and has appeared to Simon. And they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them, and the breaking of bread. And I pray this morning, as the word is preached, that our hearts would burn, and our eyes would be open, because the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord, it stands forever. Amen. A tale of two stories. In Luke 24, it's Easter Sunday. Cleopas and an individual that is unnamed are traveling back from Jerusalem to a town called Emmaus. Uh, The context is that this journey to Jerusalem was because of the Passover feast. And they had one story that they had written in their minds. They were going to Jerusalem because they had heard a man by the name of Jesus had entered into Jerusalem to save Israel, to redeem Israel, to reestablish the kingdom of God to Jerusalem, and to rid Jerusalem of the evil Romans. And now they're walking back. They're walking back from Jerusalem, and they're dejected. They're walking back from Jerusalem, and they're disillusioned. Why? Because the story that they had written in their minds had been shattered we were going for victory we were going for celebration and the man we thought was going to redeem Israel and restore our hope was hanging on a cross and left for dead in the tomb it's the tale of two stories they had written a story of hope and joy and promise of what they would find in Jerusalem only to be experiencing another story And I want to ask you this morning, just as the two individuals that were experiencing the shattered dreams of a story that never panned out, what happens when that story intersects with Jesus' story? I pray this morning that whatever your story is today, whether it is a story of life going exactly as planned or more than likely a story that has not gone anywhere close to what was planned. That you would encounter Jesus afresh this morning and you would see that he is rewriting our stories, redeeming and restoring our journey and offering us hope even in the midst of our brokenness. What is your story this morning? Each one of us at some point in our lives look at the story of our lives and it causes us to be still and it causes us to be sad. But then Jesus asked them, why are you so sad? What are you talking about? And in verses 19 through 21, they look at Jesus as if he's been absent from the whole conversation of what's happening in the current events. I mean, it's as if they're saying, Jesus, this is all over Facebook and Instagram. Have you not heard that Jesus, the, the one that we had put our faith and hope in, the one that we thought was going to redeem Israel... He was crucified i mean they even say are you the only one that doesn't know what happened in these days disillusioned i love the honesty of verse 21 they say but we had hoped and what does jesus say beginning in verse 25 he is saying my story is so much better and so greater than any story you could have written But Jesus doesn't stop there, does he? He then continues in verse 27 as he talks about what it means to have a story of redemption, to have our stories restored. He does in verse 27 what, in my opinion, is one of the most profound things that we read in all of Scripture Jesus takes them back to the law and the prophets. Now, remember, at that time, that's all they had, that was the Scripture. And so what Jesus is doing, he says, beginning with the law and the prophets, he reveals himself to them through the scripture, revealing to the world that the entire story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is ultimately about one figure, that being the person and work of Jesus Christ. Every patriarch, every story, every prophet, every Psalm, every proverb, pointing to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to notice, Jesus doesn't say, hey guys, it's me. You don't recognize me? Even Jesus uses the word. Do you understand the power of the scriptures? Even Jesus himself says, let me take you to the scripture, the powerful authoritative word of God to understand who I am and what I have come to do. And then notice in verse 30, eventually they walk along the road, the joy of their story being restored by the Messiah, and when they arrive at the home, in verse 30, it says they were at the table. He, meaning Jesus, took the bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. It says finally in verse 31 and 32, that their eyes were open. That their joy was restored. And they say, weren't our hearts burning as he talked about himself in the scriptures. Confusion is gone. The fog is finally dissipating. And their story is being restored. I don't know if you hear a single thing that I've said this morning. But I want you to hear this. I want to dare you this morning that regardless of what your story has been up until this point, I dare you to believe that Jesus has the power to redeem and restore your story. I dare you to believe that Jesus has enough authority and enough grace, no matter how far you have gone, no matter what the story and narrative of your life has been up until this point, I dare you to believe that Jesus has the power to redeem and restore, yes, even your story this morning.
5: Hello, I'm Jennifer Kennedy Cassidy. It's astounding to realize that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, walked along the streets of Israel as a human being. The works he did there, especially his death and resurrection, purchased our salvation and continues to transform our lives today. The land of Israel is vitally important to biblical history and in today's world it is also crucially important to the safety of the Jewish people and security in the Middle East. Modern Israel was established in 1948. It celebrates its 75th anniversary this year. And this tiny nation, the only democracy in the region, is indispensable to America as our staunchest ally there. It's also important to Christians as the birthplace of our faith. But did you know that even America's founding fathers supported Israel and hoped to see a return of Jews to their homeland? It's true. And you can find out more in the intriguing book, George Washington and Israel, by Dr. Peter Lilback. We'll send it to you as our thanks for your generous donation to the work of this ministry. Dr. Lilback, a board member of D. James Kennedy Ministries, the founder of the Providence Forum, and one of our nation's leading scholars on George Washington. And in this book, he draws from the words of George Washington and other founding fathers to demonstrate their hopes for a restoration of Israel to its historic homeland. There's simply no other resource that exists like this, so you'll want to make sure to get your copy today. And if you're able to give a gift of $60 or more, we'll send you George Washington in Israel, plus the beautifully illustrated book, Experiencing Israel, Walking with Jesus in the Holy Land by Dr. Tony Evans. Dr. Evans is one of America's most beloved pastors. And in this book, he takes you on a tour of Israel. It's an opportunity to visit the Holy Land, even if you've never been there in person. This gorgeous, full-color coffee table book gives you a guided tour of biblical sites like Bethlehem, Nazareth, the Sea of Galilee, the Mount of Olives, the Garden Tomb, and more. Follow in the footsteps of your Savior through the beautiful images in this book with commentary from Dr. Evans. That's the fascinating book, George Washington and Israel, by Dr. Peter Lilback, as thanks for your generous donation and that book, plus Experiencing Israel, Walking with Jesus in the Holy Land, the beautiful full color coffee table book from Dr. Tony Evans, as thanks for your donation of $60 or more. We are so thankful for your faithful support, especially during these volatile times in our nation. By standing with us, you enable the gospel to go out around the world and for God's word to be applied to our key cultural issues. Simply write to us at D. James Kennedy Ministries, Box 11154, Fort Lauderdale, Florida 33339. Or call toll free 877 962 7677. Or go online to djkm.org.
1: Sometimes people think of biblical stories as myths or fairy tales, but I was blessed to visit Israel in March, and looking around in that land, There are millennia of biblical history everywhere you turn. Being there reminded me of just how real the events of the Bible are. The Bible is not interested in just setting up a philosophy or some abstract moral code. Instead, it presents us with God working in history in this very world. It shows us a God who chose a specific people for himself among all the nations of the world. And it shows us a real savior, Jesus Christ, who was really born in Bethlehem about 2000 years ago, who truly walked along the streets of Israel, who spoke upon the Mount of Olives, and who, when his time had finally come, gave himself to be nailed to a rough Roman cross where he bled real blood and died a real death on Calvary's hill. But the story doesn't end there. You see, in these historical events, God was bringing about salvation, yours and mine. Jesus, on that cross, paid the penalty that your sins deserve. God is perfectly righteous and just, and he does not overlook sin, but he sent his son Jesus to take those sins upon himself and to absorb the righteous wrath of God on behalf of all those that would come to him in faith. And having been executed on that cross, Jesus' dead body was taken down and buried in a tomb in Jerusalem. But on that Sunday morning, the stone in front of the tomb was rolled away, and Jesus walked out alive, resurrected from the dead. And because he has defeated death, all who are in Christ by faith will live eternally. Does that include you? Well, it can. You can make that certain right now, today, even where you sit. Pray this prayer with me right now from your heart. Our Father and our God, I know that only life and life to the full can be found in you as a free gift of your grace. I confess my sins. I acknowledge your son, Jesus Christ, as my Lord. I receive him as my savior. Please transform my broken life and help me to live now for you. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. If you sincerely prayed that prayer with me today, I have a free gift I'd like to send you. It's beginning again. Dr. Kennedy's book for new believers to help you get started in your new relationship with Jesus Christ. Contact us to receive your copy today and may God richly bless you. We're glad you were with us today. Make sure to connect with us on Twitter, facebook instagram and youtube and also remember that you're always invited to worship with us here at coral ridge presbyterian church in fort lauderdale you can also join us by live stream each sunday morning at crpc.tv and now here's a look at the next truths that transform Walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus called his first disciples. They were ordinary, unschooled fishermen. But the truth of God's Word can be seen in their transformed lives.
0: That's next week. This has been a production
3: of D. James Kennedy Ministries.